Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This episode is proudly sponsored by Integrity Life. If the last few years have taught us anything, it's that life is unpredictable, which is why you need to work with a partner that's flexible and loves to collaborate, one that will personalize the claims experience for your clients, one with a balanced approach to underwriting, and one with a competitive and sustainable pricing. Integrity, your partner for life. If you want to learn more about how Integrity is your partner for life, head to integritylife.com.au forward slash xy. Hey, Clayton here uh, from XY chatting with Renato. Make, thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure, Clayton. Good to be here. Yeah. Um, so a lot's going on in financial services. A lot's been going on since about, um, at least as far as I'm aware, since about 2013 with FOFA. But you've been in this game for a little bit longer than me, so you could probably take that date even further back. But there has been such huge changes. And at a high level, what do I see? I see uh, I see big institutions, you know, like the banks getting out of financial services. I see the former largest financial services company, AMP, selling off or attempting to sell off parts of the company. And then I see the other large company, which is IWF. I see taking a, a almost zigging when everyone else is zagging. And that to me is I think a moment of optimism for the industry because while everyone else is, you know, running away, you guys seem to be taking a different path and a different approach. And if I sort of think about a bit of your background um, and and the fact that you and your team are taking a very different approach, um, the chance to sort of sit down and ask why you and your team have a different view of financial advice compared to the other large institutions. I just thought that would be such an amazing conversational piece. So um, I guess first and foremost, can we start off with where you started in your career and what sort of dictates, you know, the view that you have financial advice today? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a great question. It's a, it's a big question and, and I'll try and do it justice um, in a reasonably succinct way. Look, I think um, my career has been a function of uh, hopefully a, a bit of methodical planning and, and goal setting, um, but equally, you know, a fair dose of, of luck and good fortune in being the right place at the right time. Um, I actually grew up in country Victoria and um, growing up in the Latrobe Valley, which is just a very industrial, lots of power stations. Uh, I sort of was heading towards the latter part of high school, wanting to be a, an engineer. And I think, again, probably through good fortune as much as anything else, I sort of changed tact and decided to go down the business route, business and international economics route. Which, which I think is quite fortuitous, loved it, really enjoyed finance, enjoyed economics, um, uh, and then worked at a, at a couple of different banks. But, but I think what the, the piece that was probably a bit of good fortune is when my, one of my first corporate roles at National Australia Bank, which was in mergers and acquisitions, um, I, I very quickly, uh, it was at the time when the banks were really looking at all things wealth. So this is early, late 90s, early 2000s. And I've sort of become a bit of the wealth specialist. And that's where I really gained a real understanding of what was wealth management and what was the role it played. Um, so, yeah, having worked on the NAB's acquisition of MLC, worked on a couple of other um, transactions that probably didn't proceed, 
Um, that was when I really got the, the bug for wealth. Yeah. I, I then actually went off uh, into investment banking to, just to expand my industry horizons. And, you know, I worked in healthcare and general industrials and utilities and frankly found that all pretty boring compared to wealth. Wealth, I came back to, was really dynamic. There was a lot going on, a lot of change. But most important yeah. of all, and, and this probably comes back to my own upbringing, you could see the role, you could actually feel the role and a difference wealth management as an industry made to people's lives. It's actually about helping people live better lives. And that sort of connection stuck with me. And that led me to IWF, which in 2003, and um, yeah, the rest is sort of history, as they say. And uh, I, I've got to say that the one, the one thing that's really, that drives me to IWF and has been a key um, compass for me has been the purpose of the organisation the fact that whilst um, some would would, uh, would rightly say that we've grown quite rapidly in the last five to 10 years, the organisation has been around for 100, over 170 years. Yeah. And, and the genesis of it was actually a, a group of people in the community creating a society to support each other. So it was, it was a mutual. It was people getting together to look out for each other and support each other in a time of need. And that, that purpose and that ethos is as important today as it, as it was then. Yeah. The, uh, and off the top of my head, the, in- Inordinate Oddfellows. Independent uh, Order of Oddfellows. That's it. That's it. I remember uh, looking at that once and thinking, goodness gracious. And and there was a couple of those, I guess you would say, fellowships. Uh, I know it in Centennial, sorry, not Centennial, at Hyde Park here in Sydney, on one of the corners, there is a statue that was erected by one of these types of societies, you know, like 150 years ago. And it's, I mean, if imagine those, that, those early founders 150, 160 years ago, looking at IWF now, they'd be like completely blown away, right? It's uh, that that's a really cool story. The fact that you can link the historical uh, purpose of the company back to your own upbringing. So, so you say you're from like a, a small town where community was quite strong, I'd imagine. Yeah. So I was uh, as a semi-small town. So that was twenty five thousand people. So okay. Traralgon, which was um, in the Latrobe Valley. Um, but always, we were a very close family. So certainly the family values um, was sort of, um, was a big part of my life and still is today. So that, you know, I was fortunate um, to have parents who I think gave me some pretty good financial disciplines um, that, that still live with me today. And I think one of, the, one of the challenges for our industry is that not everyone has that, that benefit or that luxury. And I, I think everyone deserves the right to, to have financial confidence and have confidence in their future. And um, I think the industry, that's a big part of what the industry should be delivering to society more generally. And um, I think there's a great opportunity for IWF and for the industry as a whole to, to play a bigger part in that and in, in supporting the community. That's a really good way of putting it. In fact, um, I, it's always interesting. And, and when you called it the bug for wealth, I thought that was a really interesting way of putting it because it is such a peculiar interest, but when it does bite you, uh, it, it's, it, it sort of keep, it keeps its fangs in. I think it's because it's this amazing combination of, I guess, financial and analytical and, and then on the other side, completely emotional. And you can see the outcomes, as you mentioned earlier, and that sort of combination is very interesting and it's not it's not in a lot of different industries so if i think about sort of going back to um where iwf considers it can play a role across the industry so there's a lot of people that don't get advice as we're we're both very aware of um i personally got into financial planning because or my, i got the bug for wealth via accounting and then uh into uh, financial planning and 
And what's kind of led me into XY Advisor is I knew that I could impact, say, about 100 people, maybe 150 if I really wanted to be busy. Um, and sort of I was by about three, four years into my company, I was already at about that 40, 50 person mark. And I was thinking, I can really only just double or maybe triple the impact that I can have and what really appealed. And, and I felt like I'd done a lot of hard work and I almost felt like I was uh, not doing enough with all the hard work that I'd put in to get to where I was. And so I, I went, uh, how can I leverage the, the information that I now know? And that kind of in a weird way continued down to where uh, XY advisor is today. But even with that, uh, I, you know, uh, our community now is about 4,000 strong and we're looking, you know, internationally to, to grow it even further. But there is still, there's, there's a natural cap. The way that IWF and the way that I'm sort of looking at the plays that you guys are doing, you know, that are, that are public, it makes me think you're aiming not just for the 15% of people that are getting advice. You're kind of looking at the 85% and going, Huh? Why not? Is that is that sort of accurate? Yeah, yeah, it is. I, and I, I like your term. Why not? And that that's that's the question. Well, why why don't those people deserve to have a proposition that helps them in a way that's affordable to them? Now that that help will look different and will be very different for someone who's be based on their, you know their age, their their wealth, their life needs. So it needs to be customised. But I. I think we we sometimes fall into the trap of talking about advice in a very narrow context. So we talk about advice as a holistic relationship that is um, full service. Um, but there are other forms of assistance or help that people can benefit from that may not be a holistic, yeah. personalised financial advice relationship. It may be purely budgeting. It may be financial literacy. It may be coaching. Um, but they are all forms of advice. And by advice, I use the, the generic sense of the word in helping people, assisting people make better decisions. Um, and yeah. I, I think we would benefit as an industry from broadening our interpretation of what advice is and then leveraging technology to deliver that in a more scalable and therefore more affordable ways for the benefit of everyone and benefit of a society generally. Yes. Um, how, how is that achievable? So advisors are so hamstrung with how things uh, are set up. Now we've got, you know, the ASIC uh, paper that's just out 332, I believe off the top of my head, talking about scalability of advice and, you know, how can we overcome these complaints? Um, I think there needs to, I think a lot needs to happen on that side. Um, I think in order to achieve what you know this this why not 85% or, or having this true impact which by the way i love right because why does only 15% of people have access to this kind of thing i mean if 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 there was a way to get personal training into the hands of everyone in in, in australia or as many people that wanted it as possible you'd be doing it and 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 funnily enough i think um i see Thor, what's his name? Chris Hemsworth. I think he's got like a workout app now and it's, it's, it's flooding into the market, this sort of mass, um, you know, personal training. And so the mass financial planning, I think is, and, and in all the different versions of advice, as you mentioned, and I fully agree where we're trying our hardest to get it out there, but there is natural restraints at a, at a rules and regulations um, level that I, I, 
I just don't know how it's achievable. So um, is there anything that you can share with us today that you see as a potential um, way for advisors, for IWF, for whoever to get out there and, and play a bigger impact in society? There is no silver bullet. I think there are different there are different elements to the solution. One is regulation. However, I think technology is a very, very big part of the solution. Um, I think one of the, let's call it the criticisms I'd have of the industry, and I'd include IWF in this, is I think we've tried to solve for tomorrow's opportunity with yesterday's thinking. So we've taken a very, I think we've used the thinking and the models that have brought us this far to try and solve for the, for the opportunity of tomorrow. And, and I'm not sure that's going to do it. So, for example, I think we've tried to go from a holistic, a holistic advice model and try to scale that down. Mm-hmm. When in reality, maybe we, we should start with a blank sheet of paper and build something that's fit for purpose. The reality is that the industry, the, the advice industry over the past 10 or 15 years or more has been a very, has had a very strong product orientation. So if you go to the origins of our financial planning industry, it probably originated largely out of life insurance and, and selling products. What we're saying very clearly, and, and I, think, I think this has certainly been the case um, since FSRA in the early 2000s, but certainly since um, FOFA, is that we need to divorce advice from product. So that is a very big shift. And I think our thinking needs to shift to ensure we capitalize on the opportunities that that creates. Yeah. Um, that line especially resonates with me. Um, XY, you know, we're, we're certainly no large outfit and we keep our, um, what would you call it, uh, our advocacy to a, to a very small, narrow subset. The thing that we took on about 18 months ago was the idea that upfront statements of advice should be tax deductible. And uh, super interestingly, after sort of diving into that for a while, we looked at what the industry had done in the past, which was lobby politicians, um, whereas we sort of went down the, uh, the ATO in court route, challenging the tax determination 95, which other industries had successfully done that. And so we were like, well, why don't we just follow that strategy if it's worked for other uh, industries? If and when that is successful, obviously it's not 100% chance of being successful and we'll continue, we'll pivot and go a different way if, if that doesn't work. But the other, or I guess I should say the second, because I only ever want to do one at a time. It takes way too long. The second one that I want to take on is this idea that uh, financial advice within uh, the legislation is understood to be an investment plan and that uh, products and advice are linked inextricably. And that definitely needs severing. So uh, the way, the way that you, the way that you talk about it is sort of the way that I think about it as well. So uh, if, and when we sort of take that on, I'll, I'll probably come back around and, uh, and email your assistant, see if we could uh, organize something. But it's a great idea and it needs to get looked at. And I think that could potentially be in the road. However, again, I sort of look at what IWF is doing and, and, and you guys have been on an absolute growth uh, you know, trajectory, which is phenomenal. I think it sends a really positive message to the market. Um, and it sort of sends the same message as I'm looking at in terms of the, in, the way that America and the international landscape views financial advice and financial services. And so in the Australian side, we're a little bit apprehensive and, you know, a lot of big moves in the market are getting out of advice. But then I hear and see so much sort of this public, uh, you know, external 
you know, money coming in uh, and these big plays happening. So I guess the question isn't what, what do you know that we don't know, but can you sort of let us in on, you know, how you see advice in maybe in the next five years, that might be a good way to frame it. I think, I think there is, there are some trends that are not specific to advice that are definitely playing to the, um, what I call the strategic advantage of advice. And by that, I mean, if you look at since the industrial revolution, I think in the last hundred or so years, we've, we've seen economies go from making products. So if you go back to the sort of forties and fifties and sixties, we used to make stuff. Um, <laughs> then we moved in sort of into the eighties and nineties. It was a, a sales oriented economy. We sold, sold stuff. In wealth management, we sold products. We sold life insurance policies. We sold superannuation. Where we're heading now, and I think we've seen this in other industries, whether it's media or, or, or other more um, uh, retail, we now create client experiences and create client outcomes, i.e. it's about taking capability but creating a curated experience for clients. In wealth management, I think we call that advice. It's, it starts with understanding your client. IDABOS purpose, um, which we, we do, we've re- reviewed over the last four or five years, actually starts with understand me. Before we do anything, we need to understand our clients, understand me, look after me, secure my future. So that, that understanding orientation, that customization orientation plays directly into the hands of financial advice because the advisors and the advice segment is, that, is the element that is closest to the client. Therefore, that's where the most knowledge and therefore the greatest value is for the client. From our perspective, this has been reinforced by a lot of the studies we've done. We did another value of advice study late last year with 12,000 Australians. And every time the data is consistent, people who are in an advice relationship value the advice. They have better peace of mind, better financial confidence and better, better overall well-being. So there is value in advice. The challenge is not enough people um, are benefiting from that, partly because there may be a lack of understanding what, what is advice. And I think there is a bit of confusion in that narrative. Is it about selling product? Is it about, do I need to be rich to get advice? The, I think there's an opportunity to improve the narrative of what advice really is um, and and get, get it into the hands of more people, but in a meaningful way. And again, I, I reiterate, I think in the past, we've probably tried to take a a financial advice offer for a, a pre-retiree or a 40 or 50 year old and try to sort of, you know, put a square peg in a round hole and, and market it to a 25 year old. They're fundamentally different people with different needs at different points in their lives. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure that's the best way to, to expand the horizons for, for advice. I think it, it starts with the client, understanding the client, understanding their needs and working backwards from there. Yes, customization. I remember looking at a study not long ago. Is uh, what ninety eight percent of people desire in their offer, and that to me blows my mind. You know, with what we do here at XY, we're kind of able to achieve that because we have a you know a, a small amount of clients, and we don't deal with the mass market. But as soon as you get to more than sort of a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, a million clients customization becomes such a, a very difficult problem to solve. And, um, and I think the way that you've uh, spoken about it in terms of tech, being able to facilitate that customization is absolutely correct. And yet, if I, if I look at what goes on, I don't actually see a lot. You know, if I look to market, if I look at these fintech companies, I don't see a lot of customization. I see a lot of, you know what I see a lot of, I, I, I call it the koala mattress effect where 
you know, you can't take on uh, Harvey Norman and provide everything. So you provide one thing really well. And, and, and these, these fintechs are sort of nailing that piece, but they're, but they're attracting a small audience and they're getting traction there. But in terms of being able to provide customization, I don't, I don't see a lot of that. Where do you think the way that you and your team are approaching things can facilitate that, as you mentioned, that customization, which I think is a, a very um, excellent strategy, but I also think it's really difficult to achieve. Um, where, where do you think, you know, in terms of the tech and in terms of the strategy, like how do you think that IWF will solve that better than, um, I guess, other companies who have tried to do in the past? Uh, I think the real challenge, and this is, I think, the ultimate challenge is what, what should be customised? And by that, I mean, what matters? So if, if I take I'll take Henry Ford and the Model T, which is one of my favourite um, sort of case studies, but, um, you know, he, the customization of Henry Ford was he could have any colour as long as it's black. Yeah. Now, so there wasn't a lot of, prima facie, there wasn't a lot of customization there. That being said, the automobile he built let its customers go anywhere, anytime at their complete discretion. Mm. So it's really important to know what to customise. I think there are elements of the financial advice industry and uh, participation where we've customised the wrong things. So we might customise an investment portfolio because we think that picking one manager over another is actually a point of difference in customization. But is that really what matters to the client? Or can you create a, a more homogenous system that improves the quality, reduces the cost of advice delivery, and then allows you to focus more energy and effort into the things that really matter to your customer and to your client? So I think it's really important to be clear on what are we looking to customise and why. So, um, and I suspect certainly our experience, even within IWF, I think in the past we've probably um, customised the wrong wrong parts of the advice delivery value chain. And that, that of itself has created risks in terms of advice delivery and advice quality, um, when in fact creating better homogenised systems allows us to focus where, where it really matters, which is in front of the client, and understanding our client's needs. That's super interesting. Yes. Um, I speak about this sort of a lot, but if, if there's, there's two elements of financial advice that all financial advisors are always attempting to improve. Um, and that it, number one is the client experience. And number two is uh, efficiency of advice. And that uh, sort of that dual purpose or those dual strategies are interlinked um, in terms of how do I make each client feel uh, unique and special and the journey that they go on is different from one person to the next because using the Model T Ford as an analogy, a million different people want to end up in a million different locations. So no two people are the same. Um, but at the same time, the, 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 the rules and regulations and the compliance-driven uh, work needs to be done in a way that's safe, secure, um, compliant, and removing the risks. And the way that you spoke about the industry as a whole had sort of worked on the customization of that investment piece. And then we're kind of looking at it now in hindsight and saying, well, there's active and there's passive and sure there's different sectors and yes, there's different, you know, risk tolerances, but uh, is using this boutique 
esoteric manager over here truly going to do everything that uh, everyone in the whole financial advice value chain uh, would be happy with. And yeah, the, the answer is definitely clearly no. And for multiple reasons. Um, so I think, I think that there is the way that I think about it is being good at uh, investments and, uh, and advice delivery and all that sort of, you know, the, the, it's either the right or the left brain. I can never remember which one it is that the analytical side uh, all has to, it's ticket to the game and, and, it, and it has to be done really well. Um, and yet that experiential side uh, that whole idea that, you can offer someone a different thing uh, is so vitally important to the the delivery of advice. I've actually seen now um, a piece of tech uh, that is the first bit of tech I've ever seen that's designed explicitly for that experiential side. And the first FinTech I've ever seen that, that went down that line. And I thought that was super interesting. And so, the way that they're sort of approaching it is uh, advice is advice is advice. And that whole rules and regulations will never go away, but we're going to lean into this. You could call it the coaching side. uh, And they've developed the tech to really pursue those questions that are unique and, and, and deliver an emotional experience. And I've only just seen this. This is like within a week or two, this is the first time I've seen something like this part of this XY podcast, we've been doing this for five years, hundreds of them. And it, and a lot of people have spoken about it, but this is the first bit of tech I've ever seen that's done it. Is this kind of the area or is this kind of the, the path that, that you and your team are thinking about taking? It's, it's the next frontier. Now we, we need to, we need to work our way to get there. And, and so I think one of the opportunities for IWF is to bring our advisors and lead our advisors there and, and lead it together. So take their feedback but work together to create that environment. But absolutely, I mean, having spent a lot of time with advisors and, and listening to advisors, some, some of the great experiences is you hear these stories of the client calling up an advisor to get the advisor to help him go and buy a new car because they value his opinion. I yes. mean, financial advice is about enabling the and unlocking the emotional benefit of life in a lot of ways. It's the confidence, it's the peace of mind, and being able to actively make decisions with confidence in their broader lives. It's more than just the alphas and the betas and the gammas. Um, and, and that's the piece that I think is the real opportunity in financial advice. And I think that's the piece that will unlock greater benefit in society. If we've got more people with fewer financial concerns, which can manifest by way of mental illness and other, other uh, health problems, um, unlocking that, I think is ultimately the the societal benefit that will come from financial advice. Absolutely. Uh, one of my clients um, invited me to their citizenship ceremony along with uh, their family. And I think a couple of close friends and I was, I got invited as well. And um, there's not a file, like how do you write a file note about that? You know, like how do you stick that in an SOA? And, um, and I, I, the concept that we're talking that you're like, the head of such a large financial services company talking the way that you're talking and then referring to the concept that of the next frontier and then, you know, piecing that together with the scalability idea, I'm kind of picturing what your, your C-suite conversations are like that's, that, that's, that is a, it's a truly unique 
concept. You know, if, if I think about it to, I was with Hill Ross uh, with AMP, um, the way that they kind of tried to solve it was, I guess, uh, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, but the way that you explained it earlier with old thinking, new, new ways, um, it was always kind of, I, I, I was thinking the stuff that you're trying to achieve has already been achieved by advisors. Um, and now the language you're using is uh, different. It, it's very different. And, um, and it explains to me why, why IWF are so bullish on advice. And to me, like this is one of the two advisors, at least it's great to hear this story that, uh, that the, the momentum is in the way of advice to more people. And the way that you explained it before with the advisor being the closest to the client, I think is an extremely smart way to go about it. One of the things, whenever I see a fintech pop up and their whole idea is to, hey, you don't need an advisor. I just go, ah, it's the classic mistake. Like, And then it's it's always, you know, 24 months later, oh, actually now we're working with advisors, right? And uh, And I think, if you're approaching this, if you and your team are approaching this with the advisor and then how to get an advisor in front of more and more people, I think that is a great premise and um, I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, well, we both are. No, we're very, <laughs> very excited. And, and these, um, you know, that they, one of the things, again, we talk about is we, we do take a, a, a short and long-term perspective on our business. And we're conscious that, as I said, the organization has been around 170 years and you, you made reference to um, there being a lot more friendly societies uh, in the past than they are today. There's probably a handful today. Well, one of the things we're very conscious of is the reason that IWF has been able to prosper is because we're facing the change. We've challenged ourselves to change and, and to adapt. And there are many others that, that didn't adapt and they just and they, they failed to, to be relevant, continue to be relevant to the changing society and communities. We're, we're hell-bent on making sure we continue to be relevant. Uh, and that means we need to challenge ourselves um, in, into a world that will be consumer driven. You know, the consumer will have the power. The consumer will elect who to engage with and why. Um, and as we, we discussed earlier, I think a lot of that will be based on customizations and us being relevant to them because um, access to different solutions is being democratized. The cost of engaging, the cost of client acquisition is dropping. Um, so I, I think we need to make sure that our business model is relevant to, to a changing world. Absolutely. A concept that I've been thinking about more and more is, and, and this is sort of heading back to um, the Chris Hemsworths, but the, the, the Australians with large audiences and those audiences often follow the directions of these, I guess that's why they're, they're called influencers. Um, there's a lot that's happened in terms of financial services, which are completely, which live in the, uh, you know, the, unregulated realm, things like Bitcoin, things like, um, uh, you know, off-market transactions. And and a lot of this is happening, and I'm sure you've probably followed this, the, the GameStop, the GME stock. There's clearly a desire for financial engagement. I, I think the fact that financial planning kind of around the world hasn't been able to uh, ingrain themselves in a larger portion of the population than say 10 or 15%, I think is the idea that we've only really attracted people that think a certain type of way. And 
it's certainly not that there aren't people that want to be involved in finance, uh, but just consider the uh, the traditional way of doing everything as not being particularly interesting. Um, and so uh, whatever the future of personal finance looks like, I don't know, uh, but it is an exciting idea to hear that large corporations are in fact keeping their finger on the pulse and want to ensure that advice succeeds and leaps into, if, if I dare call it, the next age. I, I, I mean, I don't, I, obviously I don't understand the, the next five years business plan for IWF, but at least what we've talked about today, it does sound like a good leadership position to take. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think, I mean, to the question of the next five years, I'll break that down to a, to a couple of different horizons. One is the next couple of years, which is about um, removing the, the legacy of, of the past model and, and re, recreating or, or setting a new foundation for the future. So much of what we're doing in advice and advice 2.0, removing the subsidies, making that business economically viable, investing in technology um, is really about baselining for the future and really letting go of the past it served us well to a point, but but I think you know if you keep on hanging on to that, it will actually be a millstone around your neck. So we we are looking to create a new foundation that is going to set up for the new set of expectations, and then beyond that, it is about really growing. It's growing the number of advisors we, we serve, it's growing the number of clients those advisors serve, um, and be that through financial advice and our advice licensees, or be it engaging with superannuation clients in a far more meaningful way. There's a conversation that's more than just about investment returns. That's actually more oriented towards their life needs and their, their own personal circumstances. Absolutely. One of the things I've always considered, especially from an advice point of view, is that the documentation that clients receive from their product providers could be substantially more interesting. So, for for example, ESG is such a, a such a, a big trend, right? Um, why wouldn't for example, IWF interview one of the companies that's in the, the ESG fund, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and just make the CEO or, or someone in the company who's willing to speak, interview them mm-hmm. and then stick that letter in the documentation. It's not difficult, but the, the person, rather than looking at a pie chart with the color orange on it and blue and purple, and numbers between one and five percent, it's an actual conversation with something that they're invested in. And it, it it's there's no it's the simplest thing possible, but I've just never seen something like that occur. Yeah, look, I, I think we've got a long way to go to um, in terms of uh, communication, particularly here in Australia. I think if you look at other geographies and the US is one that stands out to me where I think they are, they have far more innovative and effective ways to communicate. Um, I think there's a lot more we can do here. For example, wh- why why is an SOA a 50 to 80 page document and not a video, not a four minute video or 10 minute video if necessary? But there, are, there I think there's an opportunity to in, to embrace new technologies. Um, one of the benefits of having gone through 2020 and the pandemic is I'm sure that the use of Zooms for reviews, for new client appointments, for fact finds has gone through the roof. That, that's a real positive. Yes. So how do we continue to build on that? How do we use transcripting capabilities? How do we use digital capabilities to not only help in the compliance process, but actually help us deliver better insights? 
Yeah. Um, and and these, these are some things that have, have existed in call centers and other parts of our business and other businesses for quite a long period of time, um, whether it's uh, digital analytics, voice analytics, uh, to help, help us improve our own business. And it feels like that level of industrialization just hasn't occurred yet in financial advice. So, so we see that as a, as a massive opportunity. Yeah. Do you think that's just everyone's terrified of ASIC and everyone's just, to me, it just seems like everyone's so frozen with fear um, that any kind of, I think also like, because there's been so much that has occurred in the past and so many penalties have been handed down and everyone's so terrified that they're just going to get singled out that pro- progress is sort of, it's restricted. Do you, or, or do you uh, see no, I, I, um, I probably have a slightly different view, which is um, if you look at the, the model of the past, um, which was banks or, or wealth managers were in advice to sell products. So it was a distribution channel. They were prepared to loss lead. Therefore, it was hard to, it was, it was hard to get investment into those channels because it wasn't seen as a proposition in its own right. It was simply a means to sell product. Right. I think if you fast forward to where we are now, I think there's ourselves and there are you know, maybe one or two others who, are, who A, have the capacity and the willingness to invest into some of these systems and capabilities, but there aren't a lot of others. And I think that's the challenge. The challenge is, I mean, we, we've, we've um, acquired the Wealth Central technology. So that's, a, you know, we spent tens of millions of dollars in that transaction but if you look at the Australian landscape, there, there aren't that many organisations that can, that can invest tens of millions of dollars in, in the development of the next generation of advice systems. So I, I think that's the real challenge is, is which organisation is going to invest those funds. And I think as an advisor, that is a consideration. Such a good point. Had not thought of it. I, yeah, that makes so much more sense. The Wealth Central, just quickly, they're the guys with the VR, right? Uh, they've, they've been piling a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, virtual reality is one of them. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've had a go. It looks cool. Mate. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, yeah, like I said, I've been watching what you and your team have been doing, um, you know, just publicly watching the moves and, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to sit down with you and ask you all about it. So, uh, yeah, I really just wanted to thank you for coming on. No, pleasure. And likewise, as I've said, we've watched with interest your own growth and development of XY Advisor. It's been great. Awesome, mate. Thanks a lot. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the XY Advisor podcast. Uh, I'm Fraser Jack and I'm joined with Emily Blanche. G'day. Hey, Fraser. How are you? I'm tremendous. Thank you for asking. And it's uh, one of my favorite parts of the week when we start doing some shout outs. You and me both. So today I want to give a massive shout out to the Cobalt advisor licensee these guys kicked off their own group on the platform a little while ago and i've been watching it go from strength to strength it's become a place for their advisors to share resources collaborate ask questions and i was lucky enough to jump in on one of their group uh, meetings and give the crew all the advisors in cobalt a virtual tour so i was able to walk their new members through their group how to get the most out of it but also how to use the wider platform as well because there are so many resources and things and value and discussions to take uh, that they can um, make use of. So it was an awesome session, a lot of fun, and to see a modern forward-thinking licensee, um, you know, doing something like this is, uh, you know, it's what XY is all about. So there you go. Big shout out to the Cobalt uh, licensee group. Well, well done for uh, using the platform to work with the way it's meant to be used. Essentially, the XY uh, platform is designed to be able to set up uh, these sorts of things and groups and 
courses and different things. So if you're uh, jump on the XY app, you can jump into the section, have a look at the different groups, uh, and you can join those groups. Uh, if you're an XY Plus member, you can start your own group and facilitate uh, some great conversation within that group. Uh, that's the end of this episode. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.